This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Only 30 minutes are almost up, Swindon fans. But you're not there yet. Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 52 of Together at Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. Uh, we have had a lot go on this week. Uh, we had a couple of really big pieces, of, well, only one real big piece of news uh, that could be relevant to us in the future. Um, we had a Carabao Cup game halfway through the uh, middle of the week against Villa at home. Uh, and we also had a game this weekend and a game to look forward to next weekend. So we have a lot to cover in this week's top five stories of the week brought to you by myself. Uh, and we will kick off uh, with the Villa recap. So uh, long story short for the Villa recap, uh, I was not able to watch or listen to the game Um if anybody else had the same issues I had with trying to get any possible way of listening to it, um, I believe that we didn't get commentary until the second half. And for me, at that point, I had to go into a meeting at work, so I didn't even get to listen to that. Um, so luckily for me and luckily for you, uh, Russ, our resident season ticket holder, uh, actually went and watched the game live. Um, and he had uh, some thoughts, feelings, and uh, some input from the game himself. So what I did was I asked him if he could provide that to me so I could put that in here uh, so we can get a little bit more than just what I thought happened because I didn't see or hear any of it. So uh, Russ is up next. Uh, take a listen, and we will move on to story number four after that. So it's the day after the Villa game now, and just with further reflection on last night's events, I think it's firstly pretty fair to say that um, that was a surprisingly youthful team that we put out last night. Um, I can understand it, certainly the number of injuries we've got. I think we've got nine or ten players injured at the moment, which is a third of the squad or more. And we also arguably may have had one or two illnesses, I'm hearing, as well in the camp. Um, Basuma, as I understand it, may have had a slight setback where he was potentially going to start the game. So that's a bit of a shame, both in terms of his rehabilitation and just building up his match sharpness, but also in terms of our prospects for the match. And I do think giving a team which had seven debuts, seven debuts in the first team, all three of the subs as well were debutants, it was always likely to be us as second best in this game. Villa certainly very much the favourites. They had a predominantly senior age squad that were named and including on the subs bench as well. And I think they had one or two players in there that would definitely be first team starters as well. So we were very much the non-favourites for this game, I would say. Uh, we had Duffy at the centre of midfield and we had our regular cup goalie Button. Um, 
Connolly, of course, has established himself in the first-team squad now, and he's trying to fight to get into the first-team reckoning itself for starts. Um, I don't think he's done himself any harm from last night. He was certainly the strongest of our positives from last night's game. He showed a lot of willingness, hunger, desire. He's got really good hold-up play, showed good strength. And although he's a small lad, you know, he is, he is a strong guy. And um, he also showed a really good turn of pace, a little bit more pace than I realised he had, actually. I knew he was fairly nippy, but he had one situation in the first half where he burst away from one player, then away pretty much from another, who, uh, who should have been odds-on to see the ball out, and got a shot off on the angle, which was pretty close to scoring. So he was a certain big positive from last night. Obviously, his shot, which hit the woodwork, was the other major highlight in terms of his uh, attempts on goal. But his overall performance was excellent. Apart from that, we had Shane Duffy as captain, as a familiar first-team regular at centre-back, although he's only played um, half or maybe less than half of the games this season for the Premier League. Um, and then we had our familiar cup goalie, David Button, of course, uh, who was starting there. But aside from those guys, there wasn't an awful lot of first-team regular familiarity in the squad. The only other notable player to that is Guyton Bong. Of course, is plenty of first-team experience. But again, isn't arguably isn't a first-team starter, certainly not a first-choice starter when everyone's fit and ready. So... It was a very youthful team, and we did look second best, really. There was a lot of endeavour, there was a lot of good um, attitude, I think, the way we set ourselves up, the way we went out. I think we were positive, and I think it was a good start. Villa certainly looked comfortable on the ball, and they were always likely to score goals. And when they did eventually get their first goal through Jota, his first for Villa, it seemed like it was really coming. And um, that was a bit of a shame, but what can you do? Um, The second goal, well, I think... Shane Duffy again showing his weakness in that right side of defence scenario. He was up against, I think it was Davis, and he was um, basically second best once Davis had shown a little bit of a turn and it went into a foot race. He was always going to beat him down to the line, got the cross in, and Hurahan, who's another player I like a lot and is on the periphery of the first team squad at Villa, first team starting lineup for Villa, uh, placed it well 2 0, and that effectively was it for the game. Um, the second half, I think having started with a 4-2-3-1 in our first half, um, I think we changed the formation a bit to try and mix things up a bit. But I don't think it had any significant difference to the outcome of the game. And, um, I mean, the other positives, I would say, from um, from the game, we had Archie Davies starting at right back. And he played, I think, the whole game pretty much. And he was pretty decent. I looked quite solid, quite confident. Certainly the other major positive, aside from Aaron Connolly, was Hayden Roberts, who I've seen play before for the 23s, including the game away at Arsenal last season. And here he started the game and saw out the match, playing centre-back alongside Duffy. And he looked composed, accomplished, confident. Obviously, as we know, he then went on to score the goal, which was a consolation in effect. Um, But he moved in and got the touch with his foot from the corner to place the ball home and um, I think that crowned off a really good performance for him he deserved something from the game along those lines and he was certainly a very strong positive from last night's game Um, Bong played left back of course and then the midfield generally for that first half with the 4-2-3-1 was Baluta and Jenks playing in holding roles with uh, Richards further forwards 
who flattered to deceive a little bit. He showed promise. It's the same old story with Richards. He's got flashes of some good stuff, um, but he does tend to blow hot and cold a bit. And I think he's still got a long way to go to really push for a place in the first team for the uh, Premier League. But he had his moments here and there. What I do think we struggled with really was the wide attackers. I think Cochrane and to a smaller degree Guargis were a little bit out of their depth, as I thought was Jenks in the holding role. Um, Cochrane on the left side of our attack, Guargis on the right side. I mean, they showed plenty of endeavour again. I think Cochrane is generally a left back who can play further forward, so maybe we have to cut him some slack there. But Guargis, he's a forward player, and I think he was he was busy. He was certainly involved and he was certainly enthusiastic, but I did think he was a bit of a fish out of water. He didn't really get much joy at all, and I think he squandered a few moments of possession where he really should have done a bit better. So I was surprised he didn't get subbed, um, possibly even as early as the hour mark, really, because I think Longman could have played out on the right side, possibly. Um, I guess the reason we didn't do that was because we wanted to bring Longman on for Connolly to rest him for the weekend which I'm guessing is what we're, we're going to be doing. Connolly will certainly play some part at Stamford Bridge, in my opinion. But, um, you know, it was, it, there was a few players that struggled a bit. I think it was a good run out overall. I think we would have learnt a lot from the game. I think it's got some positives to it. I think Potter will see it that way. And I'm not too fussed about us getting knocked out, and we always do in the League Cup. I had a look through our record in the League Cup, and it's pretty atrocious, as confirmed my suspicions. Um, The only year where we really made any significant progress at all was in 2014-15, when we got through three rounds of games. Um, I forget who we were playing. I think it was Cheltenham, possibly Swindon, and then um, Burton, which was a game I went to, actually, where we won away from home. And then we got into the fourth round, where we lost 2-0 at Spurs, remembering that was the game where we had Leonardo Ajoa in the away end for that match. And we took a fair number of people to that game, but we lost 2-0. So, again, no, no chance of getting into the quarter-final in that one. And we've got nowhere near it in any of the other years over the last three decades. I've gone back 30 years there, and our record is truly atrocious. So we shouldn't really be surprised, I suppose, overall. And... To be honest, I think year on year, it's not really been a big deal because it's a competition I don't really have an awful lot of enthusiasm for. It's the secondary cup comp. I think if you get to the later stages, of course, you're enthusiastic for it. But it's a it's a competition which I think apart from a couple of years where the likes of Oxford and Luton have gone a long way, and I think Bradford might have gone on a really good run in recent years, there's not an awful lot of action for the smaller clubs. And by smaller, I mean anything outside of the top six or seven in the Premier League. Um, So it's one of those competitions, really. And it is very much a low priority for us, I think, this season, as with most seasons, particularly now that we're trying to manage our way through another Premier League campaign. So, yeah, not an awful lot of success, but not too worried about that. Definitely the things to take from it, the most positive, are Connolly's continued improvement and his push for the starting role in the first team. Um, I think an excellent performance from Hayden Roberts, and a decent performance from Baluta, who I thought looked very calm, composed, and confident in his holding mid-role. He had a lot of involvement. I think he had a lot of um, a lot of what we did went through him. And at one point, he had this delicious side-footed, low-chipped 
through ball that he played in for, I think it was for Connolly, which was absolutely first class, looked superb. Um, I was impressed with him in the Romanian under-23s team in the summer and in the little bits and pieces I've seen for him playing for the Albion um, in friendlies and so on. Now, I think he's a player I, I imagine is going to take a little bit of time to get to push for the first team, but I'm very enthused with him. I think he's got a lot of potential, and I think he could make his way into the first team in the fullness of time. We'll have to see. So, yeah, Connolly, Roberts, Baluta were my big three positives, and I thought Archie Davies did well at right back as well. I thought he got forward. He had a lot of interest in the game, and he looked quite quite composed and calm. I don't think he did an awful lot wrong there. So those are the positives for this one. And we move on. We've got Chelsea away, Spurs at home, two very big games in which we're probably not expecting to get too much from them. But if we can get a result in one of those two, that would be a bonus. Our season started with six points from six games, which just averages for safety, doesn't it? which is great, except for the fact that we should have won probably three of the games that we didn't win. And that's where we're now going to possibly suffer going into two hard games, which if we don't get anything from, would put us onto a below one point per game average, which is a little bit of a worry. So I'm hoping, and I've actually got a little bit of a sneaking feeling we might be able to achieve something from that game at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. My sneaky cheeky little tip is that we're going to get a draw in that game a one all or a two all draw let's hope so we'll see how it goes up the Albion thank you very much for that Russ it was uh the first time in a season and a bit that I've not been able to give any real coverage of a game um so definitely appreciate that uh story number four so story number four is one of the uh lesser maybe ones that will be influential to us in the future or not uh UEFA have announced a new third European Championship. Uh, the UEFA Europa Conference League. Try saying that real quick over and over again. <laughs> uh, will be a third tier competition sitting below the Champions League and the Europa League. So we'll have the Champions League for the top four, uh, the Europa League, and then the Europa Conference League. Uh, kicks off in 2021, so not long until we get this in implemented. Um, and the games will be played on Thursdays, same as the Europa League. Uh, kickoff times, very similar as well. 6.45 um, in Central European time. So that would be, what, an hour further back. So like 5.45 and 8 o'clock English time. Um, and you can do the math, uh, Americans, as to whether you will be watching it or not. 4 o'clock, I think, and 4 o'clock and 1 o'clock. Eastern and Western Pacific. So it is. Is it Pacific time? I think it is. Um, but yes, uh, so I believe that it's been kind of a work in progress for a while. I think the BBC reported that it was going to be a thing, um, like a Europa League 2 or something like that. Um, and I believe that what's going to happen is that the Europa League is actually going to be confined to uh, the top 15 ranked leagues only. Uh, and they're going to cut that league from 64 to 32. So the Europa League is no longer going to be a 64-team competition, excuse me, uh, and it's only going to have the top 15 ranked leagues. So your England, Spain, Germany, France, Italy, Portugal, Holland, and whoever else ranks in that top 15. Um, teams from outside the top 15 will qualify for the Europa Conference League. Uh, I expect probably the, the people that come in like second or... Uh, don't make it past Champions League qualifying, perhaps. Um, 
would automatically get shuffled down to the Conference League. Um, and the winner of the tournament qualifies for the following season's Europa League. Uh, I assume the group stages, otherwise it's a bit harsh. Um, now, big news for the for the Albion and for uh, the Premier League. So the winner of the Carabao Cup will enter the Europa Conference League in England. Only one team from England will enter the Conference League, which makes sense, right? Because you want to be able to give these smaller leagues a chance. Um, or if, like most years, it's won by a club that already has access to the Europa League or the Champions League, um, the team who finishes seventh in the Premier League will now be awarded the place in the Europa Conference League. So Wolverhampton Wanderers, I believe, finished seventh last year. This time next year, they would then be qualifying for the Conference League, not the Europa League. So the way it's going to work is 32 teams split into eight groups of four. Group winners progress to the last 16, uh, and an additional knockout round will be played before the last 16 between the second place teams and eight teams who drop from the Europa League. So you'll have like an additional playoff knock knockout qualifier, uh, which I think is kind of unfair um, because what's the point in having this opportunity for the smaller teams, right? At different countries, if you're just probably going to have uh, a host of fourth and fifth place Spanish and Spanish and Dutch teams coming in and sweeping them up. I don't get it. Seems kind of anti uh against the issue that they were trying to do but um so what do we like is it a blessing or a curse um wolves burnley newcastle birmingham uh dozens of others have suffered at the hands of euro competitions big time so is this a good thing or a bad thing uh i think it's probably a good thing for a lot of teams around the world but for us uh are we still going to be excited by it do we need it do we want it uh, I would be really interested to hear your thoughts on that because for me, uh, I think we do need it in Europe, but I'm not sure an English team should even really get access to it. Uh, I'm wondering if it should... I don't really know if there's any reason for an English team to want to be in there. Um, it's always been a dream to be in the Premier League, right? Since I was a kid, I was born in 1990, so... When I first started going to watch the Albion, I was like seven, eight years old. I think that's generally the, the average age for most kids. And uh, my first one was Northampton away in the Worthington Cup, which is now, I believe, the Carabao Cup. I think it's the same cup. Um, it's at about 880 names, so I'm not entirely sure. But we got there, right? And it was the best thing ever. But the obvious next dream is to win a cup or get to Europe, whatever that looks like. Uh, whether we're playing, for me, whether we're playing in Latvia or whether we're playing in Madrid, um, for Albion fans to be able to plan a trip to watch Albion play competitive football in Europe is the next dream, right? Like, it's ambitious beyond belief to even think about it, but you've got to. And although I suspect most are over it uh, and thinking, what what's the point? Um, I'm all for it. I'm all for a new competition. Uh, I think it's good for the smaller countries too. And not only that, but you can you will be just as excited at looking at those draws as a Brighton fan if we make it than if we get the Europa League too. Like you and you you just want to be in Europe, I hope. Um, despite the fact that most teams shit the bed in the Premier League if they get there. Um, but it's an interesting move from UEFA, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Uh, I worry that it actually won't last very long, but we shall see. Um, story number three. So story number three is the Carabao Cup. Um, we've just spoken about the fact that the Carabao Cup will now 
be the gateway to the Europa Conference League. Um, but the big question coming out from this week uh, and the Villa game is that should we, how are we going to deal with the fact that teams of Albion's stature aren't even taking the game seriously? Um, should we introduce restrictions on how much of your first 11 you can play? Now, I believe there was one. Um, and definitely would love someone to reach out and clarify for me on this, but, uh, but or is it the FA Cup that you have to play five players from your last game, um, otherwise get fined or, like, be expelled or something? Like, you ha- if you had uh, a game against Liverpool last week and you play the FA Cup this week, you have to have five returning players to stop that kind of attitude. Um, is it something we should be bringing in for the Carabao Cup? Honestly, was it something we had and took it away? I'm not entirely sure. Um, be honest, that's the one piece of research I did not do this week. So if anybody wants to get up with me about that, please do. Um, I'd love to know. And the biggest thing that a lot of people are saying is that, you know, they paid £15, I believe it was, to get in and watch Albion play Villa on Wednesday night. Um, and that's just not acceptable. Uh, I'm not particularly worried about the result. I'm not worried about the lineup. Um, I'm not worried about anything Villa-wise. Uh, I thought that it was a great opportunity for the youngsters. Um, we desperately needed to allow our players to try and rest up over the week, given the absolute injury crisis we have going on. My issue is that people paid £15 to watch an under-23-18s game, and they could go to the one on Friday for free as season ticket holders um, and actually watch a slightly more senior sidebar in Duffy and Bong. Uh, and I don't think that's good enough. So I think the money's got to go down. I think it's got to be like £5 entry. Um, and honestly, if it was me, uh, I think we need to start offering season ticket holders free entry, uh, depending on the round, actually. Um, I think we enter in the second round, right? Uh, if we do, I think we should offer free entry in the second, third, and fourth. Um, and only once we start getting to that last 16, you start charging money. Um because until fans start showing up, the tournament isn't going to be taken seriously all the way up until the semifinals anyway. And then, you know, the, the horse is bolted. Um, you've probably got four top four teams and who cares? Um, so that's my thoughts on it. I think you I think you need to offer it free to season ticket holders. Um, and I think that you need to have like a... a you can pay fifteen pound if you've never been if you if you don't have any Albion loyalty points or anything like that. Uh, if you're a season ticket holder, you get free entry. Um, and if you bring a mate as a season ticket holder, they get five pound entry, something like that. Because uh, the crowd was, you know, the crowds are, di- are dismal at Carabao Cup games. Um, and who can blame who can blame you for being upset after Wednesday night because you didn't get anything that you thought you were going to see. So I totally understand the frustration um, and I think it's worth something they have to look at uh, if they're going to try and make this tournament relevant again anytime soon. So story number two. Uh, Story number two is obviously Chelsea, right? (laughs) There's only two more stories to go uh, and they were two games that we played. Well, two games. One we played just this weekend and one game we are going to play next weekend. So... As usual, the good and the bad. Uh, the good. So there is not much good on this one, is there really? Uh, let's get straight to the nitty-gritty and take a look at some encouraging numbers despite the reality of what we all watched yesterday. 
um, or Saturday, because I'm recording Sunday, but you will listen tomorrow or during the week. Uh, so Dale Stevens, uh, I thought played really well yesterday. I thought he was my, he was honestly my man of the match for the Albion. Uh, 86% pass accuracy. Only Dan Byrne was better off, um, and Dale was pressed incredibly highly all the time. Uh, Mason Mount incredibly highly pressed on him. Um, and the fact that he was able to be so economical on the ball was very impressive. Um, he actually came forward with the side uh, against the top six side. Honestly, against a regular side, you wouldn't have seen him in our in the attacking half. But against the top six side, you wouldn't have seen him outside of the our third. Um, but he came forward with the rest of the team. He was positive. Um, pretty sure he actually got a pretty tame shot on target off as well towards the end. But... Uh, I thought he was excellent. Um, scared me to death once or twice with those no-look passes that he does that just has to stop. But I don't think it's going to at this point. He's too old to change it, I think. Uh, Dan Byrne also, I thought, had a good game. He was asked to do a big job dealing with Willian, Mount, everybody else. Uh, I thought he did as well as he could with a clearly not match-fit Bissouma in front of him uh, and Alzate, who to the left of him had a really poor game and then Bong replaced Alzate on that left-hand side. So... I thought he was shortchanged on the left all day, but did his best. Uh, thought he was incredibly unlucky to get that deflection that resulted in the second goal. Uh, I thought that was just incredibly harsh. Um, he came closest to scoring as well with his header at a corner. Uh, really wasteful, actually. What? Why did he bang it into the ground? I'll never know. Um, and, you know, what could have been if he'd scored that? We probably deserved to be 5-0 down at that time, but that could have really knocked the absolute air out of Chelsea if we'd have scored then uh, with 15 minutes to go and bring it back to 1-1. Um, despite how poor we were yesterday, I think that we probably could have gone on to really cause some issues. Um, there's not much more about good, really. Uh, we lost 3-0 last time. It was only 2-0 this time, right? We we conceded one less goal at Stamford Bridge, uh, but they didn't have Eden Hazard, so, I mean, that guarantees us one less goal. Um, conversations about Matty Ryan, uh, the fact that he can't save a football to save his life and him being the scapegoat for all our poor performances uh, should calm down for a bit because I thought he had an absolute blinder against Chelsea uh, and he was a big reason why it ended 2-0 and not 5-0. Uh, people will say that he had easy saves to make but he has to make them for it to be uh, even seen as easy so he had a couple of really good saves um, even the one where Barkley uh, pretty much had a tap in and just tapped it instead of pounding it into the net. Uh, Matty Ryan's positioning was had to be so good to be able to make that as easy as it looked. Um, and I thought he was unlucky with the goals. Uh, one's a penalty. What can you do about that? You know, you're expected to let them in, really. Um, and then the other one was a nasty deflection that really changed the entire course of the ball. So Matty Ryan, I think, uh, I think has silenced some of those haters for a little bit. Um, but unfortunately, we're going to move on to the bad, and there's a lot more on here than there was good. Uh, so pretty much everything else was bad. Um, we failed to impose our game on them from the very first second that ball kicked off. We ended with 47% possession. Uh, that shows that we weren't able to impose our game on them. Um, only two more percent than the one against Manchester City. Uh, I'm sure that anybody who has watched both games certainly doesn't feel like we had two more percent possession against Chelsea than we did City. And that just goes to show how poor we were. Uh, we were dispossessed 12 times all of them in the final third. 
only twice did we get dispossessed in our own half. Um, you know, we talk about not creating chances, but when we're letting ourselves lose the ball 12 times in the final third, like, what are we doing? No wonder we're not getting shots off. Um, it allowed them to... It also allowed them to play the counter-attacking game, right? That basically led to Williams' goal. Uh, they pressed us high. They pressed us fast. Um, they pressed us... They honestly pressed us better than Man City did at the Etihad. Uh, and all of it combined to us looking horribly off the boil led to a real horrible-looking game yesterday. Um, we only had eight shots. It took us an hour to get one on the, t- on the sheet. Um, we weren't taking shots at all, in fact. Uh, Mopai, Gross, uh, both got in excellent shooting positions and opted not to. Uh, why didn't Gross flash the ball back across the box and try and score in the other corner when he got it through and passed it instead and got it blocked? Uh, Mopai had a great opportunity where he didn't take it, pull the trigger in time. Um, what is going on in their mindset to not shoot? Uh, Alzate also had a great chance when he cut inside to just hit the ball. Um, and he didn't. He gave it to Moy, who gave it to somebody else, who gave it back to Moy and ultimately got dispossessed. And we got counterattacked on. Um, I thought Alzate actually was incredibly poor on Saturday. Uh, he was way out of his depth. And for the second game in a row, he quite clearly dived uh, and this time was caught and bucked for it. It is totally unacceptable. Um, we absolutely need to kick that out of his game. Um, and it was a needless booking too, because it looked like he'd beaten his man. So like, why are you going down? You, If you would have just carried on going... Um, I think you would have probably got the ball in a dangerous spot. Uh, I just don't understand it, but we need to kick that diving out of him because it's not acceptable at all. Um, I think it was comfortably the worst performance we've seen under Potter so far. We lost 4-0 at Man City, uh, and this was a lot worse. And that's how bad it was was against Chelsea. Uh, We seemed totally unable to pass the ball, right? Like, you were all there or watched it, I'm sure. Uh, we didn't have any confidence in our passing. Uh, now, I don't believe they're losing faith, like I've heard elsewhere, but it was a very bad day at the office today. Uh, fouls everywhere. We committed 13 fouls to their five. Alzate, Bisuma, Dale Stevens, Mopai, Dunk, all of them committing needless, stupid fouls. Everybody off the pace. Uh, Mopai looked isolated today. Gross looked left behind. Uh, Murray was totally ineffectual when he came on. Bissouma looked unfit. Uh, it's not good enough. We've scored one goal since the Watford game, one more draw with Burnley, and uh, we need to sort our shit out soon. Just a goal versus Spurs would be very nice indeed, I think, for the team. I think they need it. Uh, so, yeah, not a lot of good to talk about against Chelsea. But I have a new segment. The good, the bad, and this week, and this week only, I hope, the sanity check. Because I think we need one of these, Albion fans. Uh, I've perused social media, North Stand Chat, everything else. Um, and we finally have uh, defense sitters getting off their fence and proudly proclaiming Potter out. Uh, first of the season, new feature, hopefully our only one. So here we go, people, strap in. We had a very bad day at the office on Saturday, but we only lost 2-0. Watford had a bad day at the office and shipped 8. It's only 7 games in. This is a project. We're not Chelsea. We're not Manchester United. We're not Newcastle United. 
Uh, we are not a team that has a merry-go-round of managers since Bloomers came in and the Amex has arrived. Potter is here. Potter is here to stay. And he should be given a season to make this work. It is also worth noting just how despicable our injury list is. I understand the complaints that I've heard everywhere about shipping out Andone, Lucardia, Knockart especially. But we also have Trossard, Proper, Bernardo, Duffy, Balogun, Bissouma, not fully fit, Izquierdo, March, all out. So with the fact that we are now fully in the three at the back formation, uh, and it looks like it's probably going to be the formation that we stick with, uh, what is our best, best 11, right? If everybody was fit, uh, what do you think your first 11 would look like? Well, my first 11 would look like this. Uh, Matt Ryan in goal, Montoya, Webb, Webster, Dunk, Byrne, March at left wing back. Thought he was excellent the first couple of games. Proper and Stevens in the middle of the park for now. Trossard, Mopai, and Gross. Of those, you can interchange Izquierdo with any of the front three because I think that a fully fit Izquierdo is as good as all of those up front. Uh, Bernardo could definitely replace March uh, because, again, I think Bernardo is excellent. And Duffy, of course, could replace Webster um, or Dunk or Burn, depending on you know your mood on the day. So that's 14 I've named that I think are either in the 11 or could interchange with any of them and we would be as strong. Um, of those options, we have six of them injured, one of them not fully fit. So seven of our 14, 50% of our strongest squad aren't ready to be playing football. We need to weather the storm and see if we can take anything from Spurs and look ahead to getting as many back for the 19th versus Villa as possible. Trossard, Bernardo, Proper, March should all be back by then. Bissouma pretty much has essentially completed his preseason by then and is as ready as he's going to be. Now, if we continue to look poor with those fit, with uh, Villa, Norwich and Everton, I believe, are the next couple, um, which we haven't in the first few games. We haven't looked poor in the first few games with those players fit. But if we do, then let's begin to not panic, but show mild concern. But for now, I think we need to chill out, let the games take their course. We did just play Chelsea. We're about to play Tottenham Hotspur. They're both very good teams. I think we just need to chill out, people. Look at that injury list again and tell me that you're really concerned that we're not good enough. Trossard, Proper, Bernardo, Duffy, Balogun, Bissouma, Izquierdo, Solly March. You know, like we're, we're not going to do very well with all of them out. So let's just chill. Story number one, Tottenham Hotspur, right? So they are a team that are on a real downward spiral this season so far. Uh, they have just about picked themselves back up by beating Southampton this weekend 2-1. Uh, or was it three? Not sure, but they beat they beat Southampton um, with 10 men. So it's a big boost for them. But away from home, awful. Uh, questions are being asked to Pochettino. Even winning yesterday, they're still asking the same questions. People wondering if he is the right man to take on forward, if they've reached their peak with him. Um, they got beat by Colchester away from home during the week. And their team is far more advanced than ours. Lamella, Eriksson, Ali, Dyer all played on Wednesday. None of those sort of senior players played for us. Uh, it was a very strong 11 they put out. They could not score a goal. Their away form is abysmal this year. And it's the, <coughs> excuse me, 
it's really there for us to take a point or more from the game. Um, three Premier League games away from home. They're averaging nine shots per game, five goals in all. Uh, only two more goals away, more than us away from home. Um, seven yellow cards, an average of 48% possession. Uh, well, you know, where are we going to focus on then? Um, we're at home. We're desperately in need of a good result. Uh, for all their star power, they're horribly weak at the back. Um, from Liverpool to Colchester, teams are carving out legitimate chances against their back four with a scary regularity. Um, they're also playing extremely narrow this year. Uh, it's a style that they have not played in the past, um, but they are this year. Their right backs are simply not even close to good enough um, right now. And I think our style of play that we're playing and our width when we uh, utilize it is enough to cause them very serious problems. Um, and a back three with wing backs as we've been using as every opportunity to really uh, silence players like Son, right? That like we've got a chance to double up on players like him. Um, now, of course, Kane and Son, etc., are always going to be a threat because they are some of the best players in the entire world. Um, but it's been the case that even if they score, they struggle to hold a lead. Um, they look totally out of sorts. And it is worth remembering that while they do have a nicer fixture of Saints at home that's just been played, uh, and they did get to play against 10 men for a long amount of time, they also have to now play Bayern Munich in the middle of the week. That is not going to be incredibly easy for them. <laughs> uh, Bayern Munich, middle of the week on the Wednesday, um, before popping down to the Amex for an early kickoff against a side that likes to keep the ball, likes to spread it wide when they can, make them work for it. Uh I know, especially after this weekend, I'm being very optimistic here. Uh, and we have a huge habit of allowing people to get good results when they're in terrible form. Um, but I truly think we should go in here thinking a draw is the minimum result we don't want to get. I know we should be thinking it's a top six side. It's a free hit. Zero points. But no, I think I think we, I think we need to be expecting something here um, because I think they're there. For the taking, uh, their confidence is shattered, even with the win. And I think if they get battered against Bayern Munich at the weekend and um, in Wednesday, uh, it could be, you know, we could we could take at least a point off them. So, thank you for listening. Uh, if you have any feedback on any of my show, what you like, what you don't like, how, what things you would like to improve, now we're a couple of weeks into the season. Um, if you have any ideas for something I could do uh, during the next international break, anything at all, let me know, togetherbha at gmail.com, uh, my Twitter, my Instagram, my Facebook, togetherbha. Uh, let me know, um, and we'll see what we can do for you. Uh, but other than that, have a good week. Chill out. Hopefully, people will get better and come back and ready to go. But until then, we're just going to have to suck it up because we have Spurs next, and it doesn't get any easier. Have a good weekend, have a good week, and I'll see you next week on Together, a Brighton Hope Albion podcast. Hello, my name is Jacob. And I'm his co-host, five-year-old Olivia. Do you have kids? And are your kids curious? If you answered yes, you should check out Curious Kid Podcast, a weekly educational podcast for curious kids and grown-ups. Every week you learn about another topic. We've already learned about spider webs, batteries, the moon, and so much more. You can find us at CuriousKidPodcast.buzzsprout.com 
or wherever you listen to podcasts.